Insights Local Politics, powered by Gannett, the nation's biggest newspaper company. I'm John Kennedy, coming to you from Gannett's Florida Capitol Bureau in Tallahassee. And I'm joined this week by Antonio Finns, the political editor for the Palm Beach Post. And our special guest this week, Katie Kokel, also of the Palm Beach Post, who's going to talk to us uh, a little bit about what she's seeing in city and county elections that have been going on for the past month. Uh, we'll be talking about what political lessons we may be learning from how voters cast their ballots in various local contests during the month of March. And uh, Governor Ron DeSantis has started to ratchet up the rhetoric on what he calls Biden inflation, even as he's about to sign a uh, real free spending and really the biggest budget in state history that's pumped up by three and a half billion dollars in federal aid that he also finds a way to condemn. But first, that music can mean only one thing, and it's uh, it's time for us to pick a number. Katie, you know, you can't come on the show empty-handed. You must uh, be here with a number in mind, right? Uh, please tell us what it is. I could never come on the show without a number in mind, and my number this week is 1601. 1601. And Antonio... Uh, You've done this before, and you're always good for a number. What have you got this week? Well, John, yeah, I'm here with uh, 4.8 million this week. And here I, I practice from where I preach. I'm, I'm here with a number two, and mine is 1,515. We'll leave you listeners in suspense for a little while, and we'll be back later in the show to explain how those numbers figure in Florida politics this week. It's been a big week in Florida politics, and frankly, a big month. We've had the uh, legislature hurtling toward the the finish line, which they crossed Monday. And uh, earlier this month across the state, there were municipal elections, uh, races for city commissions, city councils, and the occasional ballot question put before voters. Uh, Being Florida, of course, uh, there was some nuttiness in these elections. And I'm thinking maybe there's even some lessons that we can extrapolate from, uh, you know, those contests, and maybe they give us some insight into where the state is heading with even bigger elections coming up in the fall. Now, now, Katie, you were covering elections contests in the, the northern Palm Beach County city of Jupiter, which, uh, despite its name, uh, really isn't another planet. Uh, in, instead, what you reported on there seemed really oh so familiar to anyone who's been watching national politics in recent months. Uh, in Jupiter, we saw the weaponizing of the, the defund the police cry in races that Sure, they had nothing to do with uh, that that topic, but uh, you, know, you know what was this all about, uh, Katie? Can you help me understand what, well, what life is like on, or should I say, in Jupiter? Absolutely. We were heading toward this election season expecting to elect a new mayor and two town council members. Now, two sitting town council members gave up their seats to run for mayor, so we knew we would have some new faces. But very quickly, we got to a record number of candidates in Jupiter. So I had 10 people in the town Uh, seeking three different seats. And this race really set records in other ways. I should say um, there's a runoff election next Tuesday, so I don't have a lot of, you know, definitive answers. But we set records by the number of dollars that have been raised. Some will tell you in Jupiter the number of yard signs that are papering every corner. But one of the issues that really started to loom large in this election was the threat of defunding the police. And my reporting has shown that that is simply not on the ballot and simply not happening in Jupiter. The Jupiter Police Department's um, 
budget is $25 million. It's the town's largest, much like uh, most towns that that fund their own public safety agencies. But it's increased an average of $1.8 million every year for the last five years. Uh, the, the big complaint here from people who want to make this a big issue in the election is that uh, two years ago, the town council decided not to fill 20 jobs in the town's staffing pool because it was October of 2020 and they had a lot of uncertainty about what was going to happen to them financially with the pandemic. Now, four of those positions were for police officers in the police department and people who are looking to sway voters' ideas in this election have latched onto that as Jupiter defunding the police. I should say, since that deferment of filling those positions, all of them have been filled and more. And when I spoke to the Jupiter Police Department police chief, uh, he specifically called this a non-issue. He said there's no defunding of the police department here in Jupiter. So that's kind of the background of it. But it's really ratcheted up the rhetoric because in a lot of cities, they are, uh, town councils and city councils are looking at how to reallocate police funding and how to maybe change how police interact with residents. That is simply not happening in Jupiter. So it's it's really more the fear that people are defunding the police. And um, unfortunately, that rhetoric is being pushed by political committees, uh, several of whom are not based in Jupiter. So we have kind of a familiar face here. Annie Marie Delgado has been a longtime GOP um, advocate, especially in North County. She was a Palm Beach Gardens city council person for a while. And she has headed up um, a political committee called Taxpayers for Term Limits. And despite their name, Ms. Delgado told me that the singular goal of her uh, political committee is to stop defunding of the police wherever it occurs. And so that political committee has spent $242,000 in the last two months, and they have specifically sent mailers to Jupiter residents claiming that one of the mayoral candidates is is defunding the police. So that's kind of a 30,000-foot view of it, but it has really, um, really gained traction here with some voters who may not be paying attention. And, and remarkably, the candidates themselves sort of embraced... Uh, the themes as well, didn't they? They they it, it became sort of a alternate narrative to uh, this campaign. Uh, what was uh, going on for otherwise races that are focused on you know much more mundane issues than the topic of defund the police. Absolutely. I mean, when we're um, talking about campaign issues, the defund the police question is coming up next to traffic and development and tax rebates for developers in Jupiter. So these are these are real issues that local government officials can address and they're being couched with these kind of national issues, national political rhetoric that um that just simply isn't happening. So it's uh it's certainly interesting. I one of the voters that I talked to called it a sideshow. Antonio, do you think this is where we're headed? Are we going to be you know, nationalizing even the smallest races for local office? Uh, you know, is a property appraiser's stand on whether kids should get COVID vaccinations going to be the stuff of uh, campaign mailers this year? Uh, you know, after all, wasn't there a mayoral candidate in Palm Beach County who became a celebrity over her refusal to wear a mask at a bagel shop? Yeah, John, I mean, it looks like this year it's a thing to view local elections from a national lens. <clears throat> and, you know, I think we can say that it is to a certain extent reasonable to do so. And, and there are lessons to be learned. If you remember, a recall vote in the San Francisco school district last month was seen as a repudiation of super progressive or, dare I say, woke policies. And just as California has been a bellwether for deep blue politics, well, Florida is now the model for deep red politics. 
So it's fair to take a look at what the results of these municipal elections uh, portend. And there are some takeaways. I hear two of them. One is what you just referenced, the uh, this uh, candidate in, in Boynton Beach um, who was uh, arrested at a Einstein's bagel shop over a year ago uh, for refusing to wear a mask. And, you know, she became a candidate for Boynton Beach, the, the mayor's spot in Boynton Beach. But her candidacy actually is one of these takeaways, which is a warning sign to extremists or fringe candidates. And that's, like I said, in the case in Boynton Beach, where anti-mask and anti-vaccine advocate Cindy Falco de Corrado fared quite poorly in her bid to be that Palm Beach City, Palm Beach County City's mayor. If you recall, you know, I had mentioned in an earlier podcast that de Corrado was one of those flamethrower disruptive candidates. And in fact, even before voters went to the polls, uh, she did face, face trial on two misdemeanor charges uh, related to that incident over a mask at, at the bagel shop. Well, de Corrado was found guilty. And when voters had their say, they decided on a hard pass on de Corrado, who finished a very distant third in that race. So there is a warning here to candidates this fall, whether you're on the right or the left, if your candidacy is based on little more than, you, than that you want to throw hand grenades, uh, you might be in for a tough night when votes are counted. We saw that in 2020 as well, you know, in the case of some QAnon candidates down here or some very far right fringe candidates who fared very poorly in primaries and ultimately then in the general election. Then the second lesson deals with voter enthusiasm. Uh, You know, the GOP managed to flip a seat in the Jacksonville City Council. And that's noteworthy because it was a seat, although vacant at the time, it had been held by Democrats for a long time. Even more telling in some ways is that GOP voter turnout was a major reason for the Republicans posting a W up there. Uh, Republican voters simply cast ballots in larger numbers, and that appears to validate polling across the state that's claiming that GOP voters in general are more enthusiastic about going to the polls this year than their rival Democrats. But there were also some mixed results for Florida Republicans, right? Uh, John, both in Sarasota area and up in Tallahassee during the legislative session, yeah, no, that's true. We 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 saw developments where Florida Republicans sort of had you know mixed success. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned the Jacksonville City Council success for the Republicans, where they bolstered their you know already strong control of that city council. But um, area Republicans in Sarasota had gotten behind a charter amendment to repeal single member district elections and county commission races and return to countywide at large voting. But uh, voters pretty overwhelmingly rejected the idea. So uh, count that as a as a loss for Republicans there. And uh, there also was a, a setback, too, for Republicans in the legislature, where it, uh, the legislature failed to approve a proposal by the head of the state Republican Party, that's uh, State Senator Joe Gruters, um, to, to ask voters whether they want to make school board races partisan elections in coming years. That was seen as likely amping up what was already expected to be heavily politicized campaigns for school board in the wake of uh, COVID-19. And uh, now the, the, the many school restrictions on uh, discussions of race, gender identity and books and school libraries, uh, th- those are expected to be signed into law by Governor DeSantis. But but anyway, the, the, the idea of putting on the ballot this fall uh, an amendment that would ask voters to go for uh, partisan school board elections, that did not happen. So Republicans did not get what they want there. But um, yeah, clearly elections uh, this year are going to have a a real national flavor to them. And uh, 
going to be hotly combative. And uh, as Katie pointed out, you may see a lot of committees from nowhere weighing in with spending on uh, to, to influence people uh, in, in, in elections in this state that, uh, you know, the, these committees are, you know, far afield, uh, funded by, you know, deep, dark money somewhere. But, um, you know, speaking of the legislature, it, it, its last act this week was to uh, approve a record-setting $112.1 billion budget. That's a spending plan for the year that begins in July. That's 10% bigger than last year's, which also was 10% bigger than the budget from the year before. Uh, so, you know, some of that big spending, of course, can be attributed to the money flowing in from the federal government as part of COVID relief to the states. But, Antonio, you know, DeSantis is spending these Biden bucks even as he squawks about it, contributing to inflation. Uh, you know, can the governor have it both ways? Well, John, you know, look, this is an area that I know a couple of things about. As I've said on this podcast before, I was originally a, a business and economics writer. So when politicians start talking about inflation and monetary and fiscal policy, well, I know one or two things here. And yes, the governor is double dipping. But first, it has, in all fairness, he and other conservatives and pundits are, are correct. One reason we have such a serious spike in inflation, the biggest rise in prices in roughly four decades, is because of government spending. When the government prints more money and dumps those dollars into the economic marketplace, it creates a monetary environment in which there are so many greenbacks chasing limited products that the prices go up and the value of those dollars goes down. And that's especially acute today because we are still experiencing chronic sporadic product shortages from the, uh, the pandemic impact. There are a number of causes for those shortages from production backups at factories uh, and shipping ports, not, you know, not enough people uh, to unload ships and not enough truckers then to transport those goods to you know, that the companies at the companies that, that produce them from the companies that produce them. So there is also reason to believe that some manufacturers, such as those in the semiconductor industry, are holding back production to keep prices high and, and ultimately inflate their profits. And as I said on this podcast, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, you know, the millions of COVID infections and illnesses are, are another reason why. You know, it's the fact that so many people have lost hours at work because they've gotten sick means that it's limited productivity. The companies are just producing. They're not producing at the rate they were before. There, there's no way they can, given the fact that so many people at one time or another have been out. So the bottom line here, John, is that the limited number of goods plus the increase in dollars flowing into the economy is the major reason why prices are rising and rising. But here's the catch. When we say government spending, it's not just the federal government. It's also the state government. And this is where DeSantis and other Republicans are talking out of both sides of their mouth. On one side, like you mentioned, they are blaming the, the Biden administration for its spending, or as you mentioned, Biden inflation. OK, fair enough. But at the same time, DeSantis and legislative Republicans have been only too happy to take those Biden bucks and slip them into the state budget. And DeSantis is sure, like you said, that signed yet another hundred billion dollar plus budget. And maybe it is going to be one hundred twelve billion dollars, depending on Turkey shooting vetoes. But remember when DeSantis last year took the Biden stimulus money and then held gatherings around the state to pronounce the bonuses to public service servants? Well, Governor, that's inflationary spending, too. That's putting more money into the economy via consumers. Those bonuses are additional dollars that went into the marketplace to chase the finite supply of products, thus boosting their prices and devaluing the dollar. And by the way, I'm not critical of the bonuses. I'm just pointing out that you can't castigate the Biden administration for doling out a lot of money 
at the same time you're taking that money and dropping it into these massive budgets. Speaking of which, John, I have been wondering what exactly is in that record $112 billion budget that DeSantis and lawmakers just approved? <laughs> well, well, there's a lot of spending and spending all those dollars was not a problem for legislators. Uh, the, the budget is 60% bigger than just 10 years ago. Now, some of that is helped by the increase in federal relief aid to states, but Republican leaders really aren't showing much reluctance in spending despite, you know, seizing these uh, uh, talking points like Bidenflation and uh, raising alarms about, you know, the cost to consumers. Uh, they, they spent more money for teachers, as you pointed out, for state workers with the state now having trouble finding employees these days. Uh, school money is up and so too is environmental spending. So the budget does seem to do what could be some good things in the state as far as fixing things that uh, the state has long ignored. Um, and, and the federal money is helping that along as well. There's, there's almost 600 million of it, for example, used for university construction another 200 million that's going to help cities and counties combat climate change. And uh, there's even a $200 million 25 cent reduction in the state's gas tax for the month of October, which I would think the governor would crow about when he's uh, running for re-election uh, heading into the next month. And, uh, you know, even as he's on that same campaign trail, you know, railing about Biden inflation, but um, Hey, you know, it, 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 that seems to be the way uh, it, this, this duality is going right now, where, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of like uh, sinners that are saying, stop me before I sin some more or something, you know, even as they keep spending and keep sinning, I guess, in their view. But hey, that music means it's time for us to go back to those numbers we talked about. Katie, you came in here with a 1,601. What was that? And I should have said it that way because 1601 probably gave too much of a hint, but 1601 was the year that the very first St. Patrick's Day parade was held in St. Augustine, Florida. And it is generally considered to be the first St. Patrick's Day in the United States. So not terribly political, but I thought it was timely given the day. Uh, when you're speaking to a Kennedy on St. Patrick's Day, you can't go wrong. Oh, such a relief. <laughs> and Antonio, Antonio, you came in here with what, a 4.8 million. Is that right? Yeah, as in the 4.8 million dollars that the Walt Disney Company reportedly gave to Florida politicians and parties in 2020. Uh, last week, you will recall, John, that we did talk a little bit about this growing tempest between Disney uh, CEO Bob Chapek and Governor Ron DeSantis over the uh, don't say gay bill. Well, that dispute escalated to the point where Chapek announced in a letter to Disney employees the company has more than 70,000 in the Sunshine State, if you, were, if you were wondering. He announced he told the employees that the company would freeze making political donations to reassess its strategy and make sure its advocacy better reflects our values, quote unquote. Chapek also offered a mea culpa of sorts for the company's silence as the don't say gay bill was making its way through the legislature by admitting, uh, quote unquote, that he missed the mark on this. Critics though, were quick to point out that maybe it wasn't so much that JPEG and the company missed the mark. Maybe it's that they had their lips sealed because they stand to reap $500 million, $580 million in incentives for moving 2,000 employees from the company's Burbank, California headquarters to do new digs in a community outside of Orlando. Maybe, maybe not. What appears obvious though, is that Disney employees weren't entirely satisfied with uh, JPEG's letter Online message boards are all the buzz with talk of a planned protest walkout 
by company employees on March 22nd, in, in which they will be taking a cue from Florida high schoolers who have been at the forefront of opposition to legislation to the no, Don't Say Gay bill that is sure to become law, maybe even with a signing ceremony live on Fox News. As for political contributions, if you're wondering, Republicans got a good chunk of that money. Uh, Political reported that the Florida GOP got $913,000. A uh, GOP Senate campaign got $586,000. And DeSantis received $50,000. And the Florida Democratic Party got $313,000. Again, those numbers were reported by Political. As for DeSantis, he's not backing off. In fact, the governor has been going after real corporations, whether on COVID policies or diversity training and awareness programs. He's clearly not a traditional big business friendly Republican. And he said last week that, you know, the company's making a fortune off big being family friendly and catering families and young kids. Well, they should understand that parents of young kids do not want this injected into their kids' kindergarten classroom, which again confirms the accuracy of the don't say gay tag on the bill. And which again signals that the governor and those who support the legislation somehow find something wrong or uncomfortable with the LGBTQ plus topic. In any event, John, there you go. It's Walt Disney World's big 50th anniversary celebration this year, but the fireworks, well, they're in the political arena. That's very true. Uh, Governor DeSantis is finding out it's a small world after all when it comes to funding and when it comes to uh, picking your enemies, I guess. Well, my number was 1,515, and that's the number of bills that were filed in the legislature this year that, well, never made it to final passage in both the House and Senate. Only 238 of these so-called general bills actually did make it to the finish line. So that just shows how selective lawmakers are with what lives or dies at the state capitol. Uh, it's been generally seen as a pretty hard-edged session. Uh, controversial bills drew a national attention. We've talked about all of them before, limiting discussion of race in schools, talk of sexual orientation and gender identity in early grades. Uh, penalties on transportation companies that help migrants come to the state, and then, of course, new efforts to pursue claims of election fraud, and don't forget the biggest overhaul of abortion law in Florida in almost 50 years. But, um, you know, I guess given the track record, maybe a lot of people should be grateful that the success rate for bill passing is a mere 14%. Well, that's all the time we have for this week on Inside Florida Politics. I'd like to thank our producer extraordinaire, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. Stay cool, Florida.